Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you guys on this wonderful Mother's Day. Because I'm preaching, I get to shout out the mothers in my life. Um, comes with the, the territory of preaching on Mother's Day. Uh, I got three moms in my life. My, my mom, who, uh, who raised me in spite of me being an idiot a lot of the time. Uh, my mother-in-law, who has been such a light in my life over the past, um, gosh, almost... Uh, 12 years, which is crazy. And then also the mother of my daughter, Elena, who is just such an incredible mom. I love all of you guys. Thank you for, uh, I'm, a, I'm a product of, of your love. And so I just wanted to, to give you guys a shout out on Mother's Day because I love you so much. Um, so if you have a Bible or, or a Bible app, like Dom said, turn or scroll to Mark chapter 4. Um, it's crazy that the last time that I taught uh, was the last Sunday that we were all together under one roof. It's been two months of this weird, bizarre, crazy season. Um, and we believe that this is not a season of survival, but a season of revival, right? We believe that uh, God is not aloof or passive during this season. He's not indifferent. God is present. He's active and he is working powerfully in the midst of this moment in order to revive his church and wake up spiritually dead people. And the best thing that we can do as a church and as the church is to figure out what God is doing and partner with him in what he is doing. And he's called us the church for such a time as this. And that's what this series is all about. We're in part three this morning. And the title of the sermon today is Calm in the Chaos. I'm going to be uh, reading this morning from the New Living Translation. This is Mark chapter four, verse 35 through 41. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Church, this is God's holy word. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we trust you right now. I don't want to diminish the fact that in the lives of many of us, many of the people watching this morning, there are real and present storms, storms like we've never seen before. And Lord, it can be very scary to be in the middle of it. And I just want to ask God that your word today would bring great comfort to those of us who are, who are struggling, who are wrestling with fear and anxiety and difficulty and hardship right now, Lord, we ask that your word would be a great comfort to us, Lord. I ask, Father, that you would speak now through me, Lord. I submit my mouth and my mind to you, and God, ask that you would speak uh, and that 
what is spoken today would be edifying for those watching and that it would be edifying for your church today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Calm in the chaos. Uh, I want to share a story with you this morning about the 15 most chaotic minutes of my entire life. Uh, a few years ago, my wife, uh, Elena, who I just mentioned, uh, she was actually pregnant at the time with our daughter. Uh, we were vacationing in Hawaii with some friends, and uh, they have some property over on the Big Island. Uh, and so we like to go once every couple years, and we have such a great time uh, in Hawaii on the Big Island. And one of uh, my favorite things to do, and my really close friends' favorite things to do, is to spearfish. Uh, it is so fun, especially in Hawaii when the water is just crystal clear. There's fish everywhere. It's like s- swimming in an, a giant aquarium. It's, it's so fun. Um, and uh, on the second to last day of, our, of this particular trip, uh, we had planned out this all-day beach day. It was the perfect plan, right? Our wives could hang out on the beach all day and just lounge. And my buddy and I, we would get to spearfish all day long, which is like just the best thing in the world. It's like my dream, just out in the water all day long, catching fish. And then like in our head, we sort of like hyperbolized it, right? We're like, okay, we're going to go out all day. We're going to just catch all these fish and then we're going to take them home. We're going to have like this giant feast. It's going to be so awesome. But there's only one problem. We didn't realize that the night before a fairly large south swell had rolled into the big island. And so when we got to the beach, we were greeted with what looked like six-foot waves or so. Um, and there was nobody in the water except for a couple of like local boogie boarders who, who were out there. And any sane person at that point would have just called it quits right there. But there's something weird that happens when you're on vacation. It's like, FOMO times four. It's like FOMO and YOLO and all these other four-letter acronyms mixed into one. And there's this like insane fear of missing out on something when you have to fly home from paradise the next day, right? And so my friend and I, we stood on the beach for about, I think it was like 45 minutes, just analyzing and evaluating the waves. And we're just trying so hard to figure out how it is we can still make this happen. As if we looked out out of the waves, we're like, okay, if we can just get past the break, if we can just get past the break, it looks totally calm out there. We can do all our fishing. It will be fine. So finally, we just decided to go for it, and we started to suit up. I had some extra gear to put on. When you spearfish, you have uh, your snorkel and your gun and dive weights and a wetsuit and all these different things. Um, and I had some extra gear, so I got in about a minute after my, my friend did. And about 50 yards into the water, I realized what a terrible mistake we had made. Uh, I realized it when my friend, I saw my friend coming in and he was uh, getting rescued by the boogie boarders. And so they were, they were taking him in and saving his butt and that left me alone in the water. And I remember, I remember looking at the first like face of the wave as it like rose up out of the water. Um, and I just felt that sinking feeling in my, in the pit of my stomach. Right. And then boom, The break just collapsed on me and it forced my body under the water and it turned me completely upside down. I struggled to regain my my composure to come up for air and then boom, I got about a half a breath in before the next wave hit me and it, it was even stronger than the first wave. And this time I tried to work with the wave and swim back towards the shore 
but the current was so strong that it began to pull me back toward the next wave. And for the next 10 minutes, wave after wave after wave beat down upon me. And each break began to chisel away at my strength until I wasn't even fighting to get back to shore. I was just fighting for my next breath. I was just fighting to stay alive. I remember at one point actually thinking, I don't have enough strength left. The ocean is too strong. I'm actually going to die out here. And then something interesting happened. I started to think about my wife and I started to think about my unborn child who would grow up without her dad. And from this bizarre, deep place, I found somehow the strength to fight my way back to shore. I had full on suffered a panic attack in the water. My body was so exhausted that I literally just laid on the shore for about 30 minutes with my face on the ground until I could regain my composure. On that day, I learned in a very real way that there is nothing more chaotic or terrifying on this earth than a raging sea. And I imagine that the terror that I experienced that day uh, in the ocean in Hawaii is the same terror that the disciples experienced that night on the Sea of Galilee. Now, as dusk approached, Jesus, he had just finished teaching to the masses that had gathered on the shores, and the crowds had actually become too large. And in order to avoid the crowds and the press of the crowds, Jesus gets into the boat and teaches the people in parables. This was something that he did on several occasions. And specifically what Jesus is teaching the people about is, uh, is his word taking root in the hearts of those who believe in him, right? He teaches this very famous parable, the parable of the soils. And that parable is really about his word taking hold in the lives of those who believe in him. And so after a long day of preaching, Jesus commands the disciples to take him to the other side of the water. And we're not really given the reason why he does this. Perhaps Jesus just needed some alone time and solitude away from the crowds. This was a, a practice that Jesus uh, did often. He, he, he often got away from the large gatherings of people so that he could be alone. Or perhaps uh, Jesus felt that it was time to chart some new ministerial territory. Until now, Jesus hadn't actually gone over to the other side of the lake, which is where the, uh, the Gentiles lived. But for whatever reason, Jesus uh, commands the disciples and they obey him. That's important to remember. The disciples obey Jesus, and so they set course for the other side of the sea. Now, just to give you some geographical context uh, for the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Galilee sits uh, in the north of Israel, and it's about 700 feet below sea level. And the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by steep cliffs and hills and mountains, and about 30, 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee uh, is Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon stands at about 9,200 feet above sea level. What that means is that there's a 10,000 foot drop in elevation in just a 30 mile span. And just to give you a, a little bit of context, visual context, imagine if Ojai was 10,000 feet in the air. That's like the level of uh, variance in elevation. And when there's that level of variation, uh, what happens is that cold air from the mountains 
falls down and whips through the valleys, and then it settles on top of the warmer air of the lower elevation. And so uh, any meteorologist would tell you that this is how a hurricane forms when cold air is swapping with warmer. That's actually how most uh, tropical storms and hurricanes form. And that is the kind of storm that the disciples find themselves in. Mark describes this storm as a fierce storm. The word that he uses for fierce is the Greek word megas, uh, which means great or large. And then the word he uses for storm is lilaps, which is probably the coolest Greek definition of any word in the entire Bible. It says, a violent storm breaking forth from black thunderclouds in furious gusts with floods of rain and throwing everything topsy-turvy. <laughs> wow. This was a mega storm. And it's important to remember here that several of Jesus' disciples were actually experienced fishermen. These guys were pros. The Sea of Galilee was like their office for many years. They made a living for themselves out here. These men were no foreigners to storms or tempests or squalls or waves. But not this storm. Not these waves. This storm was unlike anything they had experienced before. In verse 37, it says that high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Their ship was going down. And imagine the chaos for a second that ensued as they attempted to bail water out of the boat just to keep it from sinking. Imagine the exasperation they felt as the next giant wave rose up from out of the darkness. Imagine the confusion that they felt wondering if their journey with Jesus was going to end at the bottom of a Galilean sea. Remember, these men had given their life to Jesus. They had given their life to follow this man who was the supposed Messiah. He was the promised one. He was the conquering lion. He was the one who had healed a withered hand, who had raised a paralyzed man, who drove out demons and dined with disreputable sinners. He was the one who was going to bring victory and peace to the people. He was going to restore the nation of Israel and he was going to sit upon his throne and and the disciples were going to sit at his right hand or so they thought. But now everything that they had worked toward, everything that they had sacrificed for was on the line in this moment and it was going down quickly and violently. Everything was in jeopardy, and Jesus is asleep. Even as their boat and their hopes and their dreams and their ambitions are sinking, Jesus is sleeping. And if you're a disciple, you have to be dumbfounded at this point. You're probably angry and very confused. How can Jesus be so calm when everything around them is literally going under. There's a noticeable contrast in this story. Faced with a storm of unprecedented danger, the disciples assume a posture of panic, but Jesus takes a posture of peace. Remember, this whole thing was Jesus' plan. He was the one who had commanded them to the other side of the sea. He's the one who said, let's go to the other side of the lake. That was his word. Jesus had just taught on his word. It was just as much a promise as it was a directive. 
Jesus' posture in the storm was proof positive of his promise to the disciples. Jesus knew the storm that he was sending them into, and he knew that they would get to the other side. Jesus both directed the storm and determined the destination. Long before Jesus silences the storm, he declares supremacy over the storm by sleeping through it. You know, so often our attention is drawn to the power of Jesus that we forget about his posture. We so often fixate on what Jesus did to the waves that we miss what Jesus did in the waves. And there's so much that we can learn from how Jesus positions and postures himself. Jesus is calm in the chaos, even when his followers are not. And that's the first thing that I really want us to see in this passage is that Jesus is unsurprised by and unfazed by storms. In fact, Jesus guarantees storms. A few weeks ago, Dom referred to this as a lame promise, if you remember that that sermon. And uh, he read from John chapter 16, and I want to read it again because it's so important for this particular story that we're reading through. uh, Jesus told his followers in John chapter 16, he said, A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own home. And you can almost hear Jesus predicting our current situation. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Here's the promise. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is calm in the chaos because he is confident in the destination. And Jesus is not surprised by this storm. He's not panicking over it. He's not losing sleep over it. Why? Because Jesus knows what he has promised. He promised the disciples the other side of the sea, and he promises us the other side of COVID-19. He promises us the other side of financial hardship. He promises us the other side of suffering. And Jesus is true to his word. That doesn't mean that we won't suffer. That doesn't mean that there won't be damage or fallout or even tragedy. But what that does mean is that Jesus will lead us through the storm. Sometimes Jesus directs us into the storm, but he always knows the destination. Now, the peaceful posture of Jesus should have been a clue for the disciples, but instead it became a cause for grave concern. And we see the graveness of that concern by the way that the disciples attempt to arouse Jesus. Teacher, the disciples shout at Jesus. They shout at him. Don't you care that we are all going to drown? Don't you care that we are all going to drown? This wake-up call to Jesus is actually an angry rebuke, specifically a rebuke of Jesus' character. And here's the logic behind the rebuke. Here's what the disciples are saying. They're saying, Jesus, there's a storm, and it's a big storm. And unless you wake up, unless you do something and help us, we are all going to drown very soon but you are not doing anything about it, Jesus. You're asleep. Therefore, you must not care about us. This was an assault on Jesus' 
character. And I want to ask the honest question right now. How many of us in this season feel this way? How many of us feel just like the disciples did as we face the upending of our lives, of our income, even our freedom? It can be easy to feel just the way that they did. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care that my family has no income, that I can't put food on the table? Jesus, don't you care that my 401k is being wiped out before my very eyes? Jesus, don't you care that I might have to fire dozens of employees and make them jobless? Jesus, don't you care that I'm lonely and isolated? Jesus, don't you care that my mom's in the hospital right now and she might die and I might not ever get to say goodbye? Jesus, don't you care that I'm suffering? You must not care, Jesus, because if you did, surely you would wake up and help me. If you cared, surely I would not be perishing. The disciples and us were basing God's character on their understanding and perspective of their current situation. And I want to make it clear, there was nothing wrong about their perception of the storm. It was a big storm. It was an unprecedented storm. And the disciples were certainly qualified to evaluate the severity of that storm that was in front of them. This storm was a threat to their very existence. What the disciples got wrong that night on the Sea of Galilee and what we get wrong was their perception of Jesus. They were acutely aware of what was facing them but they were hopelessly unaware of who was in the boat with them. We see this in the name that they address Jesus with. They say, teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Rabbi, don't you care that we are perishing? There wasn't a teacher in the boat with them that night. It was the Lord who was with them. The same Lord who hovered over the deep and said, let there be lights. The same Lord who raised the land from the oceans. The same Lord who turned the Red Sea into a highway for the Israelites. The same Lord who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The same Lord who rules the raging of the sea, as it says in Psalm 89. The same Lord who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. That is who was in the boat with them. And that same Lord who was with the disciples in that storm of Galilee is the same Lord who is with us in this storm. We, like the disciples, would do well to remember that Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the finisher, the Prince of Peace is with us in the boat. And it might feel like at times Jesus is asleep, but Jesus is not absent And that is a wonderful reassurance for us in this season. Jesus is not absent. Jesus is not just calm in the storm. Jesus is the calm in the storm. And in his very presence is every drop of peace necessary to withstand any storm that this world might throw at us. 
It's fascinating the way that the disciples, uh, that Mark sets up Jesus' response to the disciples. You see, the disciples question Jesus' care for them. They rebuke Jesus. And then Jesus offers his own rebuke. He rebukes the storm. In verse 39, it says, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Literally translated, Jesus says to the waves, Be still and keep being still. The word that Mark actually uses uh, in the Greek invokes the imagery of a muzzle that's being put around the mouth of a dog. Jesus muzzles the storm. He literally tells a storm to shut up. Jesus demonstrates supreme and authoritative control over something that no person could ever dream of controlling. But Jesus' calming of the storm was just as much a demonstration of his care as it was a demonstration of his control. The disciples say, Jesus, don't you care about us? And in rebuking the storm, Jesus isn't just saying, look at how much I I, I can do for you. He's saying to the disciples, look how much I care about you. Look at how much I love you. Now, there's a temptation here at this point in the story to misappropriate this story to our lives. It can seem like the moral of the story is if we cry out to Jesus, then he will respond by silencing our circumstances. He will silence our situation. But as many of us have experienced in life, this is often not the case. We cry out to God and the storm around us rages on. And maybe you've done that in this season. Maybe you've cried out to God earnestly, and it feels like nothing has changed. But there's another storm, the storm within us. And it seems like more often than not, Jesus is primarily concerned about the storm within us than the storm around us. Notice the first thing that Jesus says after calming the storm. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And on first reading, that can seem almost harsh. Like Jesus is angry or annoyed with the disciples for waking him up and making him silence the storm. But, but he's not doing that. He's not annoyed. And he's not angry. With this question, Jesus is zeroing in on the heart of the disciples. He's connecting the storm around them to the storm within them. He's addressing the waves of fear within them and the winds of doubt within them that swayed their trust in him, who he was, his goodness, his care. What Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples and to us is that if he can calm the chaos of the raging sea of Galilee, then he can calm the chaos inside of you. If Jesus can say to the waves, be still, Jesus can say to your fear, be still and stay still. If Jesus can say to the wind, silence, Jesus can shut up the lies in your head. What's interesting about this story is that it doesn't end fearlessly. Look at verse 41 again. It says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves Obey him. 
The disciples were afraid of the storm, but they are absolutely terrified of Jesus. And this is actually a good thing. This is exactly the place that the disciples needed to be. They needed to see who Jesus really was. And so do we. They needed to understand exactly who it was who was in the boat with them. And they needed to know that who was in the boat with them was scarier than the storm. But even more importantly, they needed to see that the one who was scarier than the storm was for them. They needed to see that the one with the power to control the chaos cared for their souls. Friends, Jesus is scarier than the storm. And the good news for the Christian in this season is that Jesus, the one who is more terrifying than the storm, is for you. The one who makes coronavirus cower is for you. The one who makes recessions run for the hills, he cares for you. The one who makes even death itself despair, he loves you more deeply than you will ever know. That is our great hope in the storm. The disciples' fear of the storm led them to woe the chaos. But their fear of Jesus led them to worship the king. Their fear of the storm was rooted in the uncertainty of their situation, which led them to worry. But their fear of Jesus was rooted in the certainty of his power, which led them to worship. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Can you hear the worship in that response? When we turn our attention from the storm to the Savior, our woe turns into worship. Our chaos turns into calm. Our mourning turns into rejoicing. Our despair turns into dancing. And the ashes of our sorrow turn into a beautiful song of praise. So let's turn our attention to Jesus today. Like the disciples Let's look in wonder at the one who says to our storm, silence. Let's lift our voices this morning, wherever you're at. Lift your voice to the one who says to our fear and our doubt and our trembling, be still. And let's remember today that Jesus Christ, the sovereign one, the almighty God, the one who holds every sea in the palm of his hand is with us and he is for us. Amen. Amen. Jesus, we just want to partner with the heart of the disciples this morning and, and look at you, lift our eyes to you, turn our eyes from our circumstance and our situation, turn our eyes from the storm that we are experiencing and look to the one who is infinitely and vastly more powerful than the storm. And Lord, I want to pray specifically right now for those of us who, who are just, who, see, who can't see above the waves, who see no way out, who feel the weight of perishing right now, who are looking at the wind and the waves, maybe not realizing that Jesus, you're standing right behind them. You're right there. You're right there in the middle of the storm. 
pray, Lord, today that as we draw into your presence that we would experience the peace that only you can bring, Jesus. Peace that's more powerful than the wind and the waves and the fear and the doubt and the chaos. Right now, Lord, as we worship you, may we experience that peace. May we find peace in your presence. May we find peace in the Prince of Peace today. Help us now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.